Hello and welcome to Resi Talks. I'm Emma Rossa, EG's residential editor, and in this episode I'm talking about planning and the biggest and upcoming policy now that the world has returned from the summer break. Last August, Prime Minister Boris Johnson and Housing Secretary Robert Jenrick promised the biggest shake-up to the planning system since the Second World War. But with much policy dialed back, scrapped and rumours of further backtracking expected this week, what has it really achieved? To answer this and provide further insight into what we can expect over the next few months, I am joined by Ian Fletcher, Director of Real Estate Policy at the British Property Federation, and Victoria Hills, Chief Executive of the Royal Town Planning Institute. The conversation begins reflecting on the past year and reports of big news to come this week. It is just over a year since the government released the white paper, the planning white paper, and since that time it has been a whirlwind of various consultations, the proposed immediate changes, the longer term reform. I was was making a list, there's so much classy, permitted development rights, expanding um, and then restricting potentially, Um, ongoing discussion over levy, which predates obviously kind of any planning white paper, but, but continues and continues to kind of evolve, various new taxes to be introduced building safety, uh, the list goes on. And what were the big things for you, would you say, over the past 12 months that have been keeping you busy? The biggest takeaway from from all, um, because as you say, we've, we've long passed the one year anniversary of the white paper, which was the 6th of August. But what that really did was turbocharge a national discussion on planning and planning policy. And I don't know about Ian, but I can't remember a time when planning was quite so mainstream in the national media on a very regular basis, kind of at times almost daily. And um, I think you've got a culmination of the government wanting to take a change in direction through the white paper. You've got all of the noise um, associated with COP26, climate change, climate action and what's needed on that. Um, You've got the pandemic, which has shone a light on communities and some of the inequalities that perhaps we all knew were there but have really come to the fore through it and we've had a whole ongoing um, uh, consultation it feels like we've pretty much been in consultation the whole year on various statutory instruments on things that the government would like to do to change planning so for us it's been absolutely non-stop over the last 12 months I'm sure Ian will feel the same and I think we have found that helpful in some respects because it really elevates the conversation and brings it into the public eye. This this bears through when I meet people out in industry unrelated to the planning world, if you like, um, or directly related. They all want to talk about planning and planning reform. <laughs> They've all heard about it and what's actually going on. So I think in some respects we're in a bit of a sweet spot here that we've the ear of government, we've got the ear of public, and there's an opportunity through the reform agenda to actually get some really great things for the profession, but also the wider sort of industry, the resourcing of it. If it's done right, I think there's a real opportunity here that we can have some uh, legacy benefits of what's been a very challenging 18 months for a lot of people. So that's my sort of opening gambit, if you like. But as you say, you know, you've got PDR, the white paper, the design codes, virtual committees, um, lots of filling around with what goes on on high streets and doesn't go on on high streets. And um, throughout all of this, planning has proved resilient. It's not stood still. And um, on a number of occasions, we've broken records in terms of how many applications are being turned over by local authorities. Um, and they've kept going throughout the whole lot. So I think we're in a really good place. But, you know, congratulations on the timing of this podcast, Emma, because this is 
potentially quite a significant week if um, some of the trails over the weekend in the national media lead us to believe that we may actually now be getting uh, a firmer position on what the white paper looks like. I, I think for me it's um, yeah con context is everything I think um, the last three four years um, obviously pandemic and and Brexit before it has meant that we've sort of had a number of issues that were sort of queuing up, waiting for the government to resolve those. I think the government's been desperate to get back to its domestic agenda, and uh, yeah, that is a reflection of all the things we're seeing over the uh, the course of this year and look, looking forward as well. So, um, you know, besides planning lots of uh, Manifesto commitments the government's got to deliver on things like um, tenure reform in the residential sector. Um, uh, we promised white paper in the autumn. Um, yeah, we've been building up to to COP26. Um, yeah, it's almost become a, a laughing item when you speak to officials about the uh, the heat and building strategy that's been 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 awaiting to be published for a long time now and uh, yeah, clearly there's a lot to get out between now and, and November uh, sustainability wise um, and then there's things that government really should have tackled and, and, and hasn't uh, so building safety um, yeah, there's one that comes to mind in terms of um, yeah, it's finally starting to it, it get towards that long-awaited bill um, and then also um, still a lot of arguments and discussion to be had on who, who's going to pay for all this remediation? How's government going to recover its money? Yeah, um, uh, a very busy autumn to, I don't yeah. know if it was, to look forward to, but uh, certainly to, to keep uh, Victoria and, and me on our toes, I think. It certainly feels like the past year has been incomparable in terms of the proposals coming forward. The, the list is so long. Um, a lot of it has been you know, around the planning bill. What's your focus currently on the planning bill and what would you like to see? Well, if, if I may go first, there's there's an immediate um, focus for us. It isn't the planning bill, and that's the comprehensive spending review. We might come back to that. Um, but um, on the planning bill, um, our immediate focus, um, and, and of course, what we've been doing over the last 13 months is engaging uh, very closely with government, with the department, um, to work with them on proposals, but also, you know, provide our evidence as to you know what we think will work and won't work. So we we are absolutely ready um, to respond to what comes out possibly this week and and ensure that the profession is ready to respond to those proposals, which leads me on to the comprehensive spending review because the two are intrinsically linked. It just doesn't matter who you speak to in the public or private sectors, um, but everybody now is consistently saying, I haven't heard anybody say um, anything to the contrary to we need to resource local authority planning departments now. They are, it's getting critical in certain areas and it will be another aspect to slowing down delivery. Obviously there are other macro factors here on construction, supply, labour, all the rest of it, but it, construction starts with the, the gateways, the planning permission. So um, the white paper, if you like, gets you to base camp. Mm -hmm. response gets you to base camp, which is, okay, this is what we're gonna do. And we've always said as a profession, you know, we're ready to work with it. We want to respond. But to get further from base camp um, and you've really got to resource it. So the two are intrinsically linked. And actually, in some respects, um, others may not uh, agree. It's helpful then that the CSR was delayed a year 
um, because now it's lining up to follow this response to what uh, the government plans to do with the planning system. Yeah, I mean, within the white paper, I think um, the only thing that I had seen, I mean, and at the time there was discussion over you want a massive overhaul, you want to change everything, how are you going to pay for it? And it seemed there was a kind of a snippet within that that was those who benefit from the the gains of planning would be the ones to pay for reform of the system or, or to, to pay for the system. Is that correct? Well, we would take a step back from that, actually, and, and reflect on, again, what, what we're told by industry. They are happy to pay more for the process of planning. Um, and it'd be interesting to hear what Ian's got to say on this. They're happy to pay more for the process of planning if they get an improved service, if they get quicker response times. So we're going to be keeping one eye on an ask that we've been having for at least a year. It goes back beyond actually the white paper, which is let local authorities decide what they charge for the planning service. At the moment, we've got a one size fits all across the country. And we've consistently said for a couple of years now, that's not really um, appropriate. Um, mm. Got to let local areas decide. If they want to charge more. Obviously, you can set a minimum, but if they want to charge more, why why shouldn't they? So mm-hmm. that, that's that's uh, something we're going to be looking out for. Yeah, I'd um, sort of row in and support of Victoria there. Um, you know, we've we've been consistent over the years in terms of saying that. Uh, yeah, and, and supported um, previous um, raises and in, in planning fees. Um, yeah, providing that can be as, as Victoria said linked to uh, performance and uh, I, I think uh, yeah, there was a coherence in the planning white paper in terms of uh, trying to um, digitalize the service um, yeah, improve access to um, both applicants and the uh, uh, the community um, I think they they found something like 12 million was it uh, in the the spending review last year which um, amongst hundreds of local planning authorities it only touches the sides really in terms of what is needed to deliver that. So yeah, I, I hope if the white paper is less radical than we were perhaps anticipating a year ago that we don't we don't lose, however, that that necessity to still to invest in the planning system and to uh, put that money into both digitalization but also um, resources. But to you, know, the consistent thing that our members say is that um, at the end of the day, the thing that would improve the service most is not not consistent change, but that uh, yeah, consistent resourcing. We we completely agree with the BPF on that, and actually, I think this is a brilliant area where you've got the planners and the property industry completely united. Um, so it makes <laughs> it's finally point. happened. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in terms of resourcing, and, and not not so much on the I guess the the planning fees, but on the levy the discussion of to replace section 106 and still and that's been fairly divisive the response to that um, it seems that the latest um, was Robert Jenrick's comments last week talking about how local authorities could potentially have more autonomy over how they set this single levy um, and how they use that I mean what are you seeing and what would be the ideal for both sides? Well I think that the devil's going to be in the detail here isn't it because um, obviously we're all acutely aware local authorities are going to be under significant financial pressures more of them are being um, it, it taken in sort of special measures if, if you like um, and uh, with not being able to balance the book so you know on the one hand it sounds wonderful doesn't it to give the local authority complete autonomy and you know charge what what you want and do what you want with it you know what what we would worry about is um, if it's not sort of ring fence, when it gets sort of sidled off into another very important area of the council's business, what is that going to do for development if it's stymies? You know, because we've heard very consistently the the section 106, which perhaps many before had complained about, 
Now the industry said, oh, hang on a moment, we can't like it because um, we, we pay our money and we get a contract. And we know exactly, for example, that bus stop, that roundabout, that school, it's going to be delivered and the council's legally got mm. to do it. So I think for us, we're not um, against a, an infrastructure levy, a single levy, simplification, finding a way to make it all very open and transparent is a great thing. How they square the circle, not only on that, but also across the whole nation is going to be very interesting because um, you know, land values differ greatly um, and what you can get out of it differ greatly. But often the infrastructure requirements don't. Um, and uh, they are land uh, value blind. You know, if you need extra school places, you need extra school places. Mm. Um, the number is the number uh, relating to the house. And the devil's going to be in the detail how you how you pull all that together in a in a way that kind of makes sense. Good luck for them. I think they probably, you know, of all of the things, I think this is probably one of the trickiest. Um, yeah. May. But I'm interested to hear what Ian's got to say. And uh, yeah, a lot of toing and froing over the summer. Um, not really without any, I think, conclusion. Um, yeah, so simplicity sounds 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 great, but um, yeah, trying to apply simplicity to yeah the complexity of of place and the uh, infrastructure you're trying to deliver and uh, the various different um, assets that uh, are being built I think is is challenging and yeah it's a slight worry that you just sort of wherever you start you end up reinventing Sill again. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, um, I suppose the, the concerns are, are sort of one that you, that you don't get the infrastructure that you need and then and so you're not speeding up development you're actually slowing it down and then secondly, the community's left disappointed you know, at the end of the day. Um, you know, that, that is the most important thing. If you are trying to um, deliver, you know, particularly the, the kind of large mixed use development that, that our members do, you know, then, then you know, the community you know, to, to make it work needs to get that infrastructure as well as the, you know, the, 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 the buildings that uh, our members are, are constructing. So you know, there's still a lot to do on this, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I know notice likes of the local government association have come out and said, you know, there should be pre-legislative scrutiny of the bill. Yeah, I, I, I can see, you know, why they're saying that in terms of, you know, there's such a devil in the detail in this and, and that detail's not, not out there yet. Mm -hmm. um, not just applying to the infrastructure levy, but, but other parts of the bill as well. But for me, just to add, I think you have to come back to what problem was it we were trying to solve here um, uh, with the Section 106 and the SIL and... Um, was it more money? Was it simplification? And just being very clear what the objective is within all of that. And I'm not sure um, if, as, as sort of Ian's alluded to there, in, in what they're trying to do, whether they, if the objective was to simplify it, um, it would be interesting to see if that's actually been achieved. If the objective mm. is to raise more money, you know, ditto. Um, and I think, you know, we would want to see some element of Section 106 retained within that because, you know, Ian's mentioned community, but trust is a huge fa factor in this. And, you know, some very recent examples where community trust has fallen by the wayside and that's it. Um, think schemes don't go ahead. You don't have to look too far for that. Um, but it's quite high profile one in Seven Sisters at the moment, I think, you know, where it doesn't take long for the community to sort of go against something. And ultimately, the, the um, decision sits with politicians for these big schemes. Um, so they, they will listen to their community. 
I mean, on the politicians as well, we've sort of danced around it a little, but the um, the potential of what might be coming out this week um, and specifically around zoning, that was the one that got the big response around August um, and, and has continued to dominate conversation, it would seem. What were your feelings around zoning and, and would you like to see that taken out or watered back or adjusted? or And what do you think is likely given how it really does evoke such a response within politicians and local communities as well? Two issues for us were, um, you know, firstly, it was not particularly clear what the what the prize was at the end of the day for for, de- for developers and zoning. Um, you know, government had said an outline permission, but not as as we understand outlines at the moment. And so, trying to, I suppose, get get the sector enthused about about this, I think, has been been, been challenging. And then, yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, the front loading the system, I think, you know, sounds sounds good, but um, yeah, if it was to work, then you were you know, needing to get that you know, that community participation at at the earlier stage of the mm-hmm. process. Um, often, I don't think people really sort of get engaged until you know it's it's knocking at their door, it's 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 the neighbour um, you know, doing some sort of works, etc. And so, I think. Uh, Again, the context is very important. You know, if you, if you looked back, um, yeah, this was a white paper that came out at the sort of depths of the pandemic. Uh, yeah, government was very, I think, emboldened um, in terms of you know, wanting to pursue this quickly and ambitiously. And um, yeah, I think if I were in their shoes, I would have you know, perhaps piloted a few things, take it, taken it a little bit slower. Um, and clearly, we've seen the backbench reaction over the over the summer. Mm-hmm. Well, just to add from our perspective, there are possibly two uh, bigger issues here, and you could do a whole hour on zoning. But um, mm. the, the one was, you know, it would have been a significant cultural change to front load everything via a local plan and remove you know, any opportunity to get involved in detailed matters for certain certain areas downstream. And we've had the same system in place culturally here since 1947. So that's a major shift um, and really, the question there was: Was the UK public, you know, were we ready for it? And I think, you know, that's that's uh, been pr- proved out over the summer. Probably, probably not. The other aspect is, and we we live in an era of kind of misinformation. I think there was some suggestion that zoning may make everything a bit simpler, and you know, and help speed things up. But our experience of researching it around the world and, you know, I reflect on my attendance at the American Planning Association conference this year with you know, our counterparts there. They're zoning, you know, the detail that goes into zoning makes local plans look anorexic, quite frankly, and they have to constantly <laughs> review them. They're very, very complicated um, and they are under constant review um, and they, it's really, really detailed, complicated stuff. Um, but also, you know, there's a slight whiff of zoning and where it came from. So zoning is sort of redlining um, certain things. And we just, you know, that again, that comes to cultural. However, overall, if I was going to be um, somewhat uh, cynical about this, I would say, you know, if they wanted to start a conversation, they being the government, you go in with something controversial like that, zoning. And, you know, they got they got the head. Uh, front page of the newspapers and got everybody really many times and so you know actually as a professional body it was helpful to have this elevated as a national conversation because where where we're hoping Emma is we've we've gone all the way to you know 
no idea, no idea too crazy. And let's have, you know, let's kind of take the extra. And maybe we're coming back down now to planet Earth a bit this week. So it's been a fun trip over the last year. But if we can just get back to the business of getting stuff done, yeah. um, that's great. So, you know, that's you've got to have a bit of humour in all of this, haven't you? So I think probably, you know, there were a few policy wonks who got a bit carried away and yeah. came up with a few headlines. But it got a conversation going. I think where we're going to get back to is some sense of um, sensibility this week. But obviously, you know, we have to wait and see. Yeah, yeah. It seemed that that happened with those immediate changes that were going to happen to the current system being the, the new standard methodology, permission principle for small sites, affordable housing exemptions. Those three were all dialed back. The new standard methodology was obviously that that was one really got the backbenchers going. And that, to me, doesn't seem to be that different from targets. It, it all kind of comes down at the end of the day to how many homes are you going to deliver and where? And that kind of seems to be the root of the, the trouble still. I think probably in hindsight, um, the government may not have timed <clears throat> these kind of detailed um, what had exploded into, again, another media frenzy on the mutant housing algorithm i mean the oh, times yes. probably didn't do them any favors um but i probably we <laughs> should say too much more than that um you know it really is one of those issues that really gets people one way or the other and i've just been watching some of the fallout over the weekend on twitter with some people um looking at these uh media stories over the weekend saying you know common sense has prevailed and other ones absolutely distraught that we've missed a major opportunity to start again um, so, you know, it's it's a bit um, bit marmite, this planning business, but we try and steer a steady ship through. Them, <laughs> through yeah, genuinely, I remember just want to get on with the business of delivering good planning and great places. And, um, you know, we work with what comes out later in the week. But as I say, I think where we're going to get back to is moderate, sensible, mm -hmm. you know, and ultimately um, we'll be making that case for resourcing. There's two, two, I think, two consequences that are really important. The, you know, the first is, you know, we still have that 300,000 um, homes a year that's um, you know, been uh, sort of, sort of uh, um, etched on the government's uh, to-do list and mm -hmm. it's fast approaching now. Um, so yeah, whatever they put in place has got, got to work. And then the second is that, you know, the solution to the, uh, the housing needs assessments uh, uh, consultation was to deliver 35% um, uplift, I think, in 20 cities. Um, yeah, and, and we haven't really thought through all the consequences of that. And mm. you know, places like London, Birmingham, yeah, already you know, struggling to achieve their existing targets, let alone that sort of significant uplift. So, yeah, the argument may have gone away for the, for the moment, but I think, yeah, we'll, we'll come back in terms of you know, extent to which uh, this is all achievable. Do you think that, um, I mean, project speed, build, 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 you know, the biggest reform since the Second World War, what we end up at the end of the day, will it be comparable to what the government has promised? Is it going to be the biggest reform? How many reforms have we had spoken about previously? Um, how will this compare? I think some of the reforms that we've had real time over the last year are, are, are going to be just as significant. You know, some of the changes to the MPPF, the National Design Code. Um, these are significant moves forward. Having stronger hooks to be able to reject poor design is something that we've been consistently calling for since the day dot. So that, mm. that's actually going to have a real positive impact. Um, and they've gone some way to build in 
better sort of climate change credentials within the MPPF as well. Probably think it needs to go a bit further. Um, uh, so that's the positive stuff. <laughs> the mm. negative stuff is the um, the fallout from the PDRs on uh, Class E. So it's we you know genuine concern for empty units um, that may go one way and not come back again. We're all for flexibility on the high street. Um, we really supported those um, changes that came in last summer. Um, but the Class E, well, this is the only real area that we've fallen out with government on because we mm. feel it's just gone a step too far. And I think we're completely united with the property the federation on this, which is sort of who actually wanted it. And I've, re- I've still to this day only met one person who said it was a wonderful thing. Um, but, you know, I know there is a few more out there that, than that. So we've got great stuff that's happened already, stuff that we're worried about that's happened. And then missed opportunities on the virtual committees. And we need to come back to that one again. You know, I think the reform is going to be um, helpful. I think what comes out will be helpful. But we've already had some bigger things possibly or as big happening over the course of last year anyway. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we're we're very much waiting to see how it all pans out this week um, and uh, hoping for, you know, some positive wins for the things we've been asking for. Um, particularly um, on fees and um, particularly on sort of strengthening the role of, of the local plan and, uh, you know, our concern as to what was called zoning, but you know, just having three areas designated for the whole of England's land just was was, was a bit oversimplistic. So yeah. we'll be looking forward to seeing what they say on that. There's lots of um, you know, other important things that were in the white paper that um, yeah, hopefully this week we will see the you know, extent to which those are supported or not. Um, the, the shorter period for the local plans, uh, uh, having national development policies. It's never been particularly apparent how they would achieve it, but yeah, if they could radically simplify the environmental impact assessment process. Yeah, that that would be uh, yeah, certainly welcomed by by our members. Um, so there's still still I think a lot to play for in terms of yeah, the planning bill and and mm-hmm. its content. Yeah, even if the zoning proposals are um, yeah, altered significantly. Just to second that with the environmental uh, aspect, that's another area that just crops up. We were out visiting local planning authority in Lincoln a couple of weeks ago. And you just the level of documentation now that has to go into the environmental assessments is, you know, whilst everybody supports uh, what they're doing, it's just almost getting unmanageable. And so, yeah, we've called for a single environmental impact assessment. Um, and, you know, I'd be absolutely delighted if, if government have, have listened on that um, because it's become an unmanageable industry in its own right, if you like. Um, so that that's going to be very interesting also. Well, that was my question kind of to finish off. We've talked about, you know, so much that's been proposed, the, the kind of reaction discussion around that um, and what's coming up. But what was excluded or or what should be in there that really um, you would have liked to have seen? I've got one that I'm, you know, really been championing since I since I took this role actually and it may sound a little bit pithy but actually it's really important because it holds all of this together and that's for um, chief planners started out life in the building better building beautiful commission and 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 popped up the white paper as a chief placemaker we've worked very closely with uh, other areas across the nations Um, Scottish bill has got a chief statutory chief planner now every local authority must have a statutory chief planner Um, so we would be delighted if the bill said every local authority should have a statutory chief planner. Um, I don't know if it will quite say that, but you know it might sound 
a bit silly, but actually, as soon as you make a role statutory in local government, you automatically elevate their status and ensure that it's that they're part of the corporate management structure. Uh, but also because they are, they can then make the cases for resources, but also for INS members, you've got the right level of seniority that you've got the right people to go and speak speak to, to unlock issues and make things happen, whether it's infrastructure, join up with the utilities, funding packages, you need to make things viable. And you know, our research showed that majority of local authorities don't have a chief planning officer at the top table of local government anymore, which is completely a rapid change to when I started at a district council 1998. You know, chief planner was a real mover and shaker in Wickham District Council and was really behind the complete transformation of the town centre. Would that happen now? Um, well, probably not actually in the same way because there isn't a chief planner in every local government in the same way. So uh, the reason why this is important is if you're bringing forward this change agenda, future changes to the MPPF, future changes to the infrastructure levy, how you fund things, you've got to have that right level of seniority to deliver this planning reform. Mm -hmm. I've said it to both ministers, you do need to have somebody who's actually going to hold the ring and join the dots at the top table. So if you have that, then you can deliver this change, this reform agenda. If you haven't got it and you're leaving it to junior staff, whilst you know, many of those junior staff are our members and they're excellent, you do need to have the right level of gravitas to drive forward change. And from me, um, I'm going to be cheeky and have to have two. Um, <laughs> the, first, the first is, um, yeah, we've had a, a, obviously very detailed uh, in-depth conversations over last year on, on planning, and on sustainability, but I don't, I don't think they've been as integrated as, as should have been the case. Um, yeah, a lot of the the COP26 um, agenda, yeah, really, um, yeah, is affected. I think significantly by by planning where, where you put things has a, a, a big impact on the sustainability of them, and therefore, um, yeah, as part of this planning white paper discussion, they should have been uh, I think more thought about about sustainability and how the planning system supports. Yeah government sustainability objectives. And then the, and then the second is, um, which you've heard me talking about before, is, is, is the absence of commercial um, virtually in the white paper. Um, yeah, and I think yeah, commercial um, in some respects has, has become really important, I think, over the last couple of years with the uh, impact of the pandemic on the high street, but also um, growth of some sectors, logistics, for example. And, mm a far more um, important part of our lives and um, yeah a lot of the things that are necessary in that space don't require legislation um, you know they can be done through the national planning policy framework and, and guidance but um, yeah civil servants bandwidth at the moment is not going to touch that until they've they've done the bill um, I suppose the good thing which we started off this conversation with was just to say that yeah because the profile of planning is higher then yeah, there's more interest in those sorts of things as well. We're certainly finding and you know, reaching out to both local government colleagues and uh, MPs, backbenchers, that um, yeah, there, in, there is interest in yeah, how the planning system delivers for commercial as well as residential. Yeah, you've got more people banging the drum. And it's interesting, I guess it's very much that you need to have the tools, you need to have the people, and you need to have the resources and that ultimate kind of goal of what, what what you've both said, you know, over the discussion of what are you trying to achieve with this? Where are you trying to get to? Um, and sort of having that all um, lined up. So good luck with the next few months of um, banging the drum and engaging with government. And we will see where this will all go.